Uh, bonjour. Uh, good to see you again. Hi, Joe. Good to see you too. After yeah, two years. Yeah, <laughs> two years. Yeah, last time we, we did a show together, and uh, I think a lot's changed since then. So excited to get into that. So, um, yeah, for people who don't know who you are, do you want to give a quick intro? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I am the I'm the co-founder and CEO of Airbyte. Uh, I uh, I moved in the US about. 12 years ago, always working in the data space, internet scale, IoT scale, finance scale. And yeah, started Airbyte in 2020. And yeah, we do data integration and we have an open source product. So helping company move data from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. Always a big data, big data guy and been following everything that has happened in the data space for the past 20 years, I'd say. Yeah, and a lot's been happening, I would say, especially, uh, um, we'll get into this in a bit, but definitely the last, I don't know, several months, I would say, has been a, yeah. a sort of a sea change in things, which we could talk about. But yeah, I mean, since our last chat, I mean, we, we talked, right, I think, as you had started Airbyte and, um, you know, we're getting that off the ground. But walk, walk me through that. What's happened since? Yeah. So I think we talked end of 2021 or mid-2021 or something like that. So at the time, it was very much the early days of Airbyte. So just yeah, super getting early. up. Getting open source off the ground, building the community. Actually, the thing when we talked, we had that. Um, that's when we had hit an inflection point, and mm -hmm. the team was frozen basically because we had to build the product, but the community was way too big for us to handle. So it was this time period where we were really struggling on. Hey, we don't have enough people in the team. Uh, but yeah, since then, uh, yeah, we we raised. Uh, a fairly large round at the end of 2021. And we launched, we officially launched our cloud product at the time. I think it was in April. I would say from April to September, it was like the very early version of cloud. Now it's a way more uh, mature uh, product. And yeah, we've brought a few more people into the team. The quality of, as, I don't know, I don't know, like we have like about 15,000 people on our Slack. So, and at the time we were probably around 1,000. So grown pretty, yeah. pretty quickly and pretty fast. Uh, and same thing for usage of Airbyte. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's been a, a pretty, pretty intense journey. Um, and yeah, the big focus on how do we, mo how do we monetize Airbyte? So that was a, a big topic for us in a, 2022 and 2023. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you monetize a, an open source uh, project? I, I actually get a kick out of talking to founders who um, have open source and then, um, you know, working on the, on the paid model. I'd love to get your perspective on this. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there is a model that, that exists today. I mean, you can see like what Mongo does, what Elastic does, what GitLab does, um, which is, most all of them have a cloud offering and all of them have uh, let's call it a, like an enterprise or extra features on top of open source that people can self-manage and we're following a pretty similar uh, pattern I would say that the difference that we've taken is that we actually built cloud before building uh, the support piece or the extra features on top of open source for self-managed instances so that was, that was a bit of the difference. And yeah, the goal there was just getting more people to, uh, to use Airbyte. So even if you cannot operate Airbyte, you still have an opportunity to use it. And cloud was there for that. 
Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I guess what's, in your experience, what motivates people to switch from, uh, you know, what, what I think is a really good open source uh, product uh, to the paid product? Like what, are, what are those uh, yeah. those triggers? So I, don't, I would say like from going to open source to cloud, there is a bridge that we don't have yet. Like if we look at our audience on open source and cloud, very different audiences. Uh, mm. But if you look at how we monetize services and features on top of open source, in general, it's as people put more critical pipeline on Airbytes, that generally becomes a trigger for them. Like where, I don't know, some director of engineering or some data leader is going to say, okay, what is that thing that we're using that is pushing all that data into a warehouse? Okay, how are we paying them? Do we have any support? What happens if it breaks? So that's for me, that's generally for us the first trigger. And for quite some while, for quite a while, we were just saying no to this type of opportunities and we really started because we wanted to focus on cloud and now we're just taking them out. Mm-hmm. But it, it generally starts with a, it's a critical pipeline. My whole team depends on it. My company depends on it. Uh, I need more than just downloading the project from GitHub. What are you seeing these days? I mean, obviously there, there's an economic uh, pullback, you know, data teams are trying to do more with less or how, how's that, how's that affecting like the, the community and then the, uh, and the cloud? Yeah. So people are very price sensitive right now. Um, and we actually see that where, where there is some cloud where it's users of other competitors that are looking for an alternative that is cheaper because today, yes, we, we are cheaper than the, than the competition, but on open source, actually, it's just either teams get reduced on data teams or mm. the budget is shrinking. And at that point, there is an appeal to using uh, an open source software in the sense that it saves you like development time, it saves you like building time. And at the same time, yes, you have other costs. I mean, you still need to maintain and operate Airbyte, but you can just uh, get it up and running and boom, you have you have value out of it. And then if you start putting more critical pipeline, then you start allocating budget to, uh, to Airbyte. Mm-hmm. But it's it's nice to have that open source motion in an environment where people have uh, are more price sensitive and budget sensitive. Right, that makes sense. Uh, I guess is there any notion of um, like some sort of a strategy to to uh, uh, win over the people who are using the open source? Like maybe when the next upturn happens and everybody you know money's falling from the sky again, uh, you know, is, is there um, sort of a some sort of plan to, to capture that? that audience there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you don't have to get the specifics, obviously, but <laughs> if I'm yeah, just yeah. curious. It's... Yeah. I mean, definitely like for us, the, the goal with, with open source is really to land in as many companies as possible. And yeah, current environment makes the land easier because well, you download, it works, it's free. You can get it up and running. What, what we see, and actually we, we see it a little bit like in the, um, some of the like AI companies and things like that, which is the moment they get more budget for focusing on data, then the fact that we've landed is it's, it's automatically uh, migrated to a paid like pro version because they have mm-hmm. the budget. So what we see is just lending and 
taking advantage of the current environment for for lending fast and then yeah, yeah. when things pick back up we will be there like people build on top of it so they're not just gonna replace something for something mm -hmm. else where if they've been running with it for like the past year or the past two years got it I guess, speaking of ai companies <laughs> you, you, you uh, had an announcement uh, this, this is recorded on uh, august 9th here but you you mentioned that um uh, you're starting to do a lot more stuff with uh, AI. You want to talk about that? I think this is this is more of what I'm interested in, actually. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay. I, I live in San Francisco. Like right now, I'm not in San Francisco. I'm spending time with my kids in uh, in Palm Spring, but I'm normal in San nice. Francisco. So, I was the I was able to attend a few AI uh, meetups over the past few months and just trying to get a sense of what the audience looks like and wh wh what prof what the profiles of people look like and what do they know and don't know about data. And I would say the, the first meetup I did was a disaster because I was explaining ETL to an audience that doesn't know what ETL actually is. They just know about LLM, they know about model, but they don't think about how did the data actually arrive there? They really focus on like, how do I do my prompt engineering? How do I build my application? But actually feeding the data is, 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 is already, a, is, always, is always a given for them. Um, because someone else is doing it for them. Uh, so when I did that meetup, I had to basically re-explain what does extract transform load actually means and why it's important especially as you're building apps that um, work with your your own internal data how do you inject your data into your your ai app so we basically built a destination for vector store which is today the the repository where all these apps read uh data from and yeah, we announced yesterday uh, our ability to just move data from any of the sources that we have on Airbyte, so about like 300 into vector stores. And we're starting with, a, we have Pinecone, we have um, uh, Chroma, uh, and a few others. So that's a, that's a big deal. But it's really about making sure that as people develop new stack and new framework on AI, they don't reinvent a technology that already exists, which is pulling data from sources and bringing it to a destination. So that's mostly the the desire here. Very interesting. What are um, I, I guess what, what prompted this? It, it's it's a bit of a change. I don't see a lot of the other uh, integration uh, companies or, or projects out there focusing on vector databases, for example. Like what was the uh, what was the aha, aha moment for you? Yeah. So first, like the first one was that the meetup is people yeah, are, looking, yeah. are, are just rebuilding. They're basically rebuilding data connectors. Well, what are they doing right now? Like that's what they're doing. Like you, you look at, I mean, if you look at what Langchain does or what uh, yeah. Lama Index does, like this like higher level framework for building AI apps, they all have that loader and reader components. So they are rebuilding yeah. like these small integrations, but they already exist. They are either they are like on a random GitHub or like they are on a uh, like Airbyte GitHub. So why reinvent something? And it makes sense that they, they are doing it. It's just they are starting from scratch. It's a white page in front of them where they have to build 
the framework for building application and connecting pieces together. And the commu their community is actually asking them, hey, I want to import my data from Notion. What do I do? And so they just hack a small connector for pulling data from, uh, from Notion. Uh, and obviously, this is a trend that we're seeing and we want to make sure that people know that in the data space, not in the AI space, but in the data space, this solution already exists. How do we bring them and make AI app developer aware that they can bring data from anywhere and they don't have to rebuild loader? So for us, that was a bit of the, the ha-ha moment is seeing that these frameworks are rebuilding things that we already have and that they can get from either vendors or from other open source projects. And just how do we connect the two dots, like the two dots together? Did that make sense? Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious. Like, what would have happened if you didn't show up to that meetup? Good question. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think, I mean, they would continue to build loader and uh, and readers and, uh, and for for pulling data from sources. So, just hey, we have three hundred of them. We have tooling to do it. Just yeah. use toolings that we have and. Join, join, our, join our data community. For me, it's just that these two, two communities are little bit disjoint. Like the AI community yeah. and the data community are disjoint. It's not the same thing. It's just one is infrastructure, the other one is application building. And we just need to bridge the gap between these two communities. I totally agree. I was actually speaking at a meetup last night about this and I made the point that it, it feels like right now, well, the, the, the discussion was really about how dev developers and data are, are separate. I also mentioned that, you know, AI is actually separate from data. So there were some questions on that too. And, and, um, but I made the, the, the call too that I, I feel like these, these worlds are going to collide at some point very soon because they kind of have to. Like, I, I think these uh, artificial distinctions are, um, causing just a lot of unnecessary friction. Um, yeah. you know, especially when the end goal, you know, LMs are hot. Um, they're probably going to go through a bubble, but I certainly don't see them going away uh, as a mm -hmm. thing. Like they're here, they have a lot of utility, and same with a lot of other AI applications. And um, I think your 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 serendipitous meetup, I think, that was very fascinating for that reason, where you just caught onto something like this community doesn't know about ETL. Hey, I know about ETL. Um, I guess now it's um, yeah. I don't know AI but ETL. Or the thing is, they know, they know about ETL. It's just they have not given it. A name, like yeah, a formalized yeah. name. It's just, I, I need to bring data, but that's what in the data space we call ELT mm -hmm. or ETL. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's been around for, for a while. That's that's really fascinating. I mean, but walk me through this though. So you have disjoint communities, you have disjoint ways of explaining things like AI, uh, people probably have their own way of, of thinking about um, loading data. Like, how do you plan to address the, the communication gaps uh, and, and sort of the knowledge gaps between the two? Yeah. So for us, I mean, obviously our strength is pulling data from somewhere, bringing it somewhere else. So at that point, it's just, okay, what is the point of intersection between these two communities? And when you look at most of the AI apps that are being built today, most of them rely on uh, just talking to a vector data store because that's where the data is stored and that's how it's retrieval for the app that they are building. So for us, it's just, okay, this is the intersection point between these two communities. Let's put all the communication and all the our product building on this point of intersection. And, and after that, it's just, 
okay, working with partners in the ecosystem to create, okay, let's call it like a, a template stack for how do you go from I have data somewhere to I have a bot on Slack that answer questions and mm -hmm. just giving them like a, a bit of a skeleton of what an application could look like. Um, and just like, educating at that point uh, on on ETL, ELT, vector stores, etc. But just starting from the from this middle point of vector store for us has been pretty has been pretty good. That's because that's, that's a common knowledge for on both on the data side and on the on the AI side. Right. I guess what were some of the uh, um, challenges of, of making that jump into, into vector databases? Because these are not the same things as Snowflake, for example. They're not. Uh, yeah. Uh, not even close. So. Yeah, that is true. I actually, so we have a very simple model on moving data from point A to point B. Like we try to never okay. transform the data, never do anything, and that's actually the complexity we have with integrating with Vector Store and. Before you can push something into a vector store, you need to compute embeddings for the text. So you need to take the piece of data, you need to send it to an embedding API or just compute some, uh, like com compute your vector, your embedding, and just then you can push it. And for us, that's an extra step that is not uh, native to how Airbytes operate. Uh, right. And because it's E and L, like transformation generally comes later. And also when you do your embeddings on where you break up your text, you need, sometimes you need to split your text in a way that is a little bit aware of the type of text you're splitting. If it's an HTML document, maybe you want to split by paragraph, maybe you want to split by H1 or H2 or whatever. And so this is today something that we have fully put into our destination integration. So people can tune that on the integration, but it's a bit of a workaround for our, on our model, which is we do a little bit of transformation before we send the data to a vector store, which is embedding and text splitting. Now, what we want to see is how the community is taking that product, making it its own and figure out, okay, how do we better structure the chunking, the splitting, the embedding in an EL world? And for us, that's more like product discovery that we need to do, but today, yeah, everything, all that logic is managed by the destination. Really interesting. This is a pretty big uh, pivot then. I mean, because it's, it's uh, I mean, in my opinion, I don't know about you, but it seems like this is a, uh, um, sort of pretends like a completely different future from just providing data for, I don't know, reports and uh, dashboards. Because yeah. now, now you're potentially powering data apps. Uh, yeah, correct. So. Uh, okay. I wouldn't call it the <laughs> I wouldn't call it a, a pivot, but basically the vision we have when we started Airbyte was just maybe people are going to be upset that I'm saying that well, but we want to be the sewer of data. We just want it doesn't matter what kind of data, it yeah. doesn't matter what data is coming from where it's going. We just want to be the pipes in between, and yeah, you can be using it for analytics. You can be using it to power and bring more data to Salesforce. That's for, for us, it's just data moving from point A to point B. And at that point, the, um, uh, yeah, at that point, feeding data to AI apps fits that model, which is its pipe. Yes, 
Maybe the price is to be a little bit smarter, but it remains data movement from point A to point B. So vision-wise, doesn't change anything, but yeah, tactically, it, uh, it forces us to just think of maybe different types of pipes, but it's a, it's a remains data movement for us. Got it. Just a new use case. Um, and I, I don't know, if you, if, you, if you want to draw a parallel with, a, let's call GPUs, for example. GPUs were built for, uh, for games first. Mm -hmm. And then it's a platform for computing. And then they became a platform for mining crypto. <laughs> and then they became a platform for, uh, for LLMs. So it's just, it's a platform and they just figure out, oh, there is a new use case. How can that platform be, uh, like be leveraged for that particular uh, use case? So we're, we're trying to do the same there. Have you found any um, challenges so far in working with uh, like tabular data sets, so rows and columns versus sending text over um, you know, kind of raw unstructured data like that? Yeah, there is a difference. A difference, I would say, and that's something we're actually also bringing is stronger unstructured sources. Uh, I think today. As long as the unstructured data is available through an API, like typically if you pull data from Notion, if you pull data from like Zendesk, if you pull data from um, any kind of places where you have like raw text, this is something that is already handled. Like we already move this unstructured data. And so that works. Now, if you want to move a PDF from like a repository of PDF or things like that, this is not something we do today. We don't know how to pull PDF because this is just, it's not an API, it's like purely unstructured. And right. that's something we're actually working on is how do we connect to this type of, uh, of new sources, like five type of sources. That's really interesting. So I, I guess, you know, kind of zooming to the applications of, of all this, like what, what are some things that come to mind? I mean, you, you use your imagination, but you know, if you're able to pull all these data sources together, like what do you, what do you think is possible? Yeah. Um, I think today we're at the stage where we're doing the, the flashlight uh, app on the on the App Store when the App Store started, like which is yeah, it's just we found one where well, it works 60, 70 percent of the time, which is bring your knowledge base and allow easy Q and A. And I don't think we've figured out yet what are the post flashlight uh, type of application. But what is for sure is that this use case is real. People are using it. Uh, and we just want to make sure that, yeah, this knowledge-based information is, is brought to, to this application. Now, what type of apps comes next? Uh, I mean, we're listening to, to, the, to the market and to the... To, uh, mm -hmm. To the community to see what what they are building, but this one is is just one that is real and it's gonna so, yeah. it's already by itself more useful than just a flashlight. Uh, so we just want to make sure that we ad we address that use case. Um, mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. know if that's a, that's a sufficient uh, a sufficient response. <laughs> you know, I think it's as good of an answer as you're going to be able to give in a uh, an environment like this. That's both, I would say, changing very quickly and surprisingly is is low information because you don't have mm -hmm. the specific things to, to focus on. I mean, it, but somebody's yeah. probably already got it. Uh, you know, 
but it just isn't out yet. But because uh, I mean, it seems yeah. like in this field, especially with you know with AI, all of a sudden it's like the changes are almost daily. Um, you know, and it's just it's almost impossible to keep up. I mean, I've, I've given up trying. I just you know read a few papers every week and just hope I can at least understand what, what's going on. But even then, I don't know if that's sufficient. Um, but it, you know, you do what you can. Um, yeah, and it's also like separating out like what's what's complete BS, you know, what's hype versus like what's really going to stick. Like I think what you're mentioning, yeah. being able to you know to move data from point A to B for these applications, like I think that's that has utility. Like I don't yeah. know, there's not much yeah. to argue with it on that one, right? So yeah, no, exactly, and like, it's <laughs> building an AI apps is not that different from building uh, any other apps. Like we. As software engineer, we know how to build an app. It's always the same thing. You need data somewhere. You need to bring that data to that somewhere. And then you need to connect to that somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's all. It's just that with AI apps, you have a stronger way of interacting with a human uh, and a better way of understanding what a human is asking. And to me, that's the, that's the main difference. Uh, but conceptually, it is the same. Uh, like like ten thousand feet away, it's the, it's the same structure. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you find yourself uh, toying around with um, AI uh, apps these days? Uh, I wouldn't say apps. I mean, yes, apps. Of course, I'm just yesterday I was writing a text, and you know, sometimes I, I, okay, I'm not a native English speaker, you can tell. So when I write text, I just write it very quickly. <laughs> but now I have a place where I can just put my text on and say, hey, keep the same structure, just fix all the grammar and style. And boom, I have an amazing text in front of me. I review it, but it's generally good. So I, that's for me the, the basic use case for, for, for AI app. I have to say, I, I took uh, some time in, uh, in July. Uh, I, I was on PTO yeah, with my family. And I played a little bit like building an actual AI apps, just trying to understand, okay, what does it mean to build an app? Where are things working and where are they breaking? Um, my, my goal at the time was, can I generate Airbyte connectors from just oh, really? feeding a piece of documentation? Like, can I, can I understand what the documentation is saying? And can I extract, like, how do I do pagination? How do I do, like, authentication? How I do, like, slicing of the data? How do I understand the data model? So I tried to do it. Well, I won't say I succeeded, but I, I got to something at least. <laughs> well, what did you What did you learn in that process? Yeah, and that goes back to the to what I was saying before, which is everything around how you import that external data into your vector database is extremely important because. Just providing, and especially for a documentation that is as structured as an API documentation, you need to understand a little bit what are the different concepts before you start indexing it. Like, or what are the different, where are the different endpoints located? So, yeah, for me, that was the place where at some point there was one use case where I just fall back to just doing normal, uh, regular expression to just figure it out rather oh, than asking to an LLM. Uh, but for others, yes, I was trying a extract to me how I should do cursor and like pagination for this endpoint. 
he was and um, it was able to find me the, the question but if i was asking yeah give me all the endpoints available yeah i'd better do it with a, a regex it's it's simpler it works more reliably but it's really keep in mind that's a one day experimentation so yeah <laughs> that's that, that's the time I, my my wife gave me to uh to uh to play with uh <laughs> to build an, an app during our, our vacation in france <laughs> i mean that's a pretty generous offer so i took it i took it <laughs> oh that's fun I, I guess I have another question too. That's been in my mind. I'd like your take on this. You have kids. How old are your kids? Uh, nine and seven. Okay, nine and seven. Yeah, I got uh, ten and thirteen. And I'm thinking about the the impact of AI on on, on kids. You know, kind of switching gears a bit, but this is, I don't get to talk to parents that often. So, what what, what do you think about the impact of uh, that AI is going to have on on children? Yeah. Uh... There is one danger that I see, and I, ca I can see it, for example, when I show just the basic chat GPT to anyone, which is before when you're searching something on Google, you have the choice of what answer to pick. So in a way, you exercise judgment on what you're going to believe is true or what you believe is, is wrong. When you ask the question, and you know, sometimes I, I, I do it like I, I, I'm on my chat GPT app and I ask a question. It's very, it's much harder for myself to decide if I believe or not what's written. Mm. For kids, because they have not been trained by, hey, this is how the world worked before and this is how you exercise judgment on picking a website or not, like picking your sources. And the fact that it feels like you're talking to a human telling you something sensible. Like it feels real. It feels real when you read it. And mm -hmm. I don't know how that will affect the ability to exercise judgment in face of information because it looks correct. It's well written. It looks like an article. You could put it on Wikipedia, but you have no idea if this is true because this is not a, a, a sentient being. It's not something that was written by an expert. It's something that was automated. And for me, that's going to be a, a big deal is it was already hard for people to balance what, what is real, what is not, what is true, what is not on the internet. I think at that point, when you ask a question and someone answers you, it becomes really hard to, uh, to create your own opinion or to, to exercise judgment. So I don't know how to, uh, how to protect kids. I mean, it was easy before, like teachers would say, Hey, you know what? Don't believe everything that's on Wikipedia. Right. Well, okay, fine. I exercise a little bit of judgment. I know that, but with ChatGPT, just ask a question. And if 99% of the time it's correct, what's going to happen when it's the 1% where it's absolute BS or just mm -hmm. complete false information? Uh, so I don't know. I think we need to watch out for building this ability to, 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 <laughs> to have good judgments <laughs> for our kids. Yeah, I, I tend to um, violently agree with that notion. It's, it's something where I've been, um, 
Yeah, it's it's. I mean, you see this enough with adults right now. They just, I mean, you didn't even, even need Chat GPT, and they still uh, just read the first result on Google and they're like, oh, this must be right, or or Twitter yeah. or something like that. Uh, you know, but with kids, yeah, they haven't had the foundation of uh, critical thinking and, and judgment. So it's it's. Yeah, I think it's something I've been talking to a lot to my friends and my wife about. Just like, how do you you know prepare kids for this age where? I mean, even, you know, school, school in America, I mean, it starts in a couple of weeks and every kid is going to be using chat GPT and BARD and whatever else on everything. Yeah. Um, doesn't matter what it is. And so it's, it's definitely a big question. I think for parents and like how do you, uh, how do you help kids navigate this? I think teaching critical thinking is definitely a thing. I'm, uh, I also feel like, you know, the, the way that we teach kids is probably just going to have to be almost inverted in some ways. Cause um, you already have quote, the answers in front of you. Now I think you just need to develop the mechanism that, determine if that's actually true or not. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which actually it's not that bad because it means that now you can focus education on critical thinking rather than yeah. the, the artifact that comes after. Mm. So why not? Uh, I mean, I wished I had chat GPT when I was a kid. I, I, I don't like to write long text. I write bullet points. So if I could just mm -hmm. say, Hey, take this bullet points, write something nice. That seems like busy work to me. And I, I'm glad that I have that. I wish I had that a few years ago. Uh, but so it, it's a real tool. It's just don't believe the tool. Yeah, yeah. I think one, one thing we've been doing is just putting uh, homework problems into ChatGPT, like especially a math story problem. So maybe a good trick for you. And then just um, having them figure out if it's right or not. And like half the time it's wrong, actually. And so you, yeah. it's like, then you're like, okay, so why? Why is it wrong? And uh, that's, that's, that's the homework. So. <laughs> yeah, that's actually nice. Like, I think you learn a lot by correcting and by understanding why something yeah. is wrong. So I, I can see the the reversed uh, education you're, you're, you're saying. Yeah, mm -hmm. and yeah, we'll see. I don't know if most we'll teacher would embrace that though. Well, I think most teachers good. hate it, <laughs> to be frank. Because <laughs> it forces them, to, I mean, because they have their own way of teaching and now they have to sort of reinvent everything. And like in a lot of cases, in America at least, teachers don't have control in a lot of ways of how they teach because it's all, um, you know, based on uh, what's called Common Core, which is a set of curriculum they have to teach. And so they just kind of have to teach to that method. But if students, but everything changed in November of last year. Yeah, ChatGPT came out, and all of a sudden, oh, every student is like, "Yeah, I mean, we can do it that way. I'll ace every exam that you have um, in the process." But it's uh, yeah, every, everything changed. So yeah, but yeah, I, I see that as 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 a, as human beings, we're we're gaining in inefficiency in a way. Mm. So we can it's almost like we can focus on the core value, like the thing yeah. that requires critical thinking and. Putting it in form, yes, there is, I mean, not, don't get me wrong. I think there is something nice in having a text that is super well written and you know it's not ChatGPT who wrote it. But I think at that, at some point, most like 95% of the people don't need that level of sophistication on like copy and edit. And for this 95%, yeah. that's such a good uh, like productivity tool. Uh, mm -hmm. and, oh, yeah. You know, if you, if you're if you're a student and someone is asking you to write a report on hey, what are the what are the top three AI techniques in the world today? Well, you're going to do your research. You're going to understand what it is. But now writing the report and that's a very boring job. 
And I don't want to do it, but I want to understand what are the top three models, understand them, and then write down what I understood and just ask someone else to do the copy. Yeah. That's, that. I, I don't know, they're like, we're more efficient now with this yeah. technology. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, kind of bringing it back to, to adults, I guess, uh, <laughs> in, the, in the world we, we operate in, like, what, what do you think this does to uh, tech workers? So people that might be working in the modern data stack, for example, like, what do you, what do you think these advances in AI yeah. does, does to that? And also, what, what, what do you think the impact is on stuff like the modern data stack? Yeah. Um, I think it helps the, I think it helps executing on the vision of what the modern data stack is supposed to be, which is you're basically taking building blocks, assembling them in a way that works for the audience, like the person who is actually interested in the data. And it used to be only technical people, maybe a few execs. Now the whole company needs to look at that data. And not everybody is fluent in writing SQL, understanding data model, or writing documentation for a specific model. And the same way data warehouses have made it much simpler to work with data rather than Hadoop or like MapReduce or whatever, I think we're just adding a new layer of simplicity for accessing data. Uh, and yeah, maybe you don't get the same, I don't know, quality or depth in your analysis, but at least you can get a very good surface understanding of some metrics or, or some or some data models, or you can ask some questions. Uh, uh, so for me, it's just opening up the world of data to more profiles that will never be able to take a SQL editor and write something. Um, so it's, it's an extension to me. It's like, let's add these additional modules on top of it that make data more accessible, uh, which is my yeah. definition of modern data stack. We can argue on what is the definition of modern data stack, but to me, it's just building blocks to make data more available. Yeah, I tend to agree with that notion. I, I define it as, uh, you know, cloud native, uh, modular, democratized access to data, right? Yeah. So the democratized access to data part's always been, I, I think, the biggest challenge because there's still a lot of friction involved. Um, I think to your point, it, it's, you know, there's, there's no there's no secret why there's um, why SQL classes are very popular, uh, despite mm -hmm. the fact that SQL has been claimed to be dead for many, many times and somehow it seems to be getting more popular, um, is because people need to access the data, right? And, and um, But that's the only interface you have right now to a database. You yeah. can't be able to write SQL. Um, you know, I, I think up to last year when LLMs became popular, you know, there were some companies like ThoughtSpot that I think put some effort into, you know, sort of having more of a semantic um, interface with it. But even then it was, so you had to do it in a certain order of operations and so forth. But now I think the lid's been blown off that. And if you can just write native, you know, whatever your language is, French or English or whatever, yeah. it's still early days, but I feel like that's, the democratization angle is definitely, um, it's bound to happen. I don't know what's in its way right now, you know, apart from, yeah. well, what's in its way is uh, the, the stuff that you're probably <laughs> helping working on, which is like getting the data into a, uh, vector database. I think that it's, uh, 
it's, it's one of the big challenges right now because there's all this, I, I think the big crux too is like, there's still a lot of corporate data that's, um, you know, when I'm talking like in enterprise systems and whatnot, might be in your data warehouse now, but it's still making that transition from there to something that LLM can take advantage of. It's, it's the, uh, yeah. that's, I think that's the next phase of, of where everything's going. So, yeah. Yeah, but to me, to me, we're still missing a small layer uh, in between mm. creating something that doesn't give you something like the wrong information where you oh, believe yeah. it's correct. So we need that small layer in between, between how your data is stored, how your application is built, and the level of quality that you expect on the other side. And oh yeah, that's that's to me the the piece that we, the the world needs to be working on today. Uh, oh yeah, because you have the quality aspects. I mean, quality has been and governance has been like a horrible problem. Even though right now, I don't think we've still gotten it right. It's actually, yeah. I would argue, it's almost gotten worse in some ways. And so, you throw a large language model on top of the data sets uh, that exist in a lot of data warehouses today. I just, I'm like, I don't know, you could. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I even if even if a large language model was capable of producing 100 correct results, you'd still probably get really interesting results yeah. if your data is messed up. But yeah, there are some, I think there's some trends. Um, you know, there's a really good paper that came out, uh, was it July 14th or June 14th about uh, uh, LLMs and uh, uh, knowledge graphs. Maybe knowledge mm -hmm. graphs remove the hallucination problem, but you know, it remains to be seen. It's, but yeah, it's not, there's enough attention on this. So you'd think that it's, it's going to get solved because it's like the hallucination problem. I don't think anyone's going to oh, yeah. sit there and say, oh, this is awesome. It's fine. We're and that's actually the blocker for productionizing more AI apps. Is it's always worked super well on its internal apps because people used to live in the world without like the chatbot, and they have that judgment piece where they say, "Oh, this this answer is not correct. This one is correct." So, like this copilot model is to me the one that works the best today because you are still involving human intelligence in the decision making process and agreeing or not that this is the right information. Mm -hmm. But if you want to do something that is 100% automated, we're not there yet. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, like I would not, I would not trust like building today a, 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 a nearby connector 100% to an AI. I would not. Now, can you gave I the example of using a regex, for example? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. It works. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah. That's interesting. Are, are you going to encourage the Airbyte community to start trying to use AI to uh, to speed up the production of new connectors? Or um, I don't know if that will come from the community or if it will come from us. Like we 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 have um, we have a, a connector editor today that allows us to build connectors fairly quickly from scratch. And what I would want us to add is like tips or information, which is, this is what I found in the documentation. These are the endpoints that I think you could be interested to put in that connector, select or not. So it's more like suggestion that then the, the person in front of the UI can just say yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, oh. and basically validate. So it's more like in information retrieval to develop faster. Uh, so this is something I would love for us to, uh, to get to at some point. Uh, and that seems to be the one that it's a best compromise between something fully automated and a copilot, which is, it is just copilot. It is a productivity tool for you to build connector faster, but it doesn't build them for you. So that's how I see us using uh, LLM in, within the product. Interesting. 
Do you see any um, uh, data providers or, um, uh, I guess, connection sources also adopting LLMs? And, and the reason I'm asking this is because is there is there a future where uh, all these providers are just um, basically uh, on some sort of a lang chain and they just <laughs> connect to each uh, other that way? So, uh, I don't know. I I doubt it. Yeah. I okay. Doubt it. Just kind of uh, get your take on that. Because it would be interesting for, for a fully automated world to work, you, you would almost need to have that that's sense of awareness of, of different connectors and just being saying, I want to connect here, 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 done, send yeah. here. Or an automated fashion, yeah. there's no human intervention whatsoever. So Yeah, I, I think that there is always a problem of you're sending proprietary data somewhere. That's and a problem, yeah. <laughs> that that is a big one. How do you ensure that your data is not going to leak into like a learning uh, data set or anything like that? And yeah. suddenly, boom, your data becomes part of how the model was trained and your data is available to any answer. So there, there are a lot of questions that we need to answer before that becomes a... That's a big one. About. That's yeah. a big, big one. The, Especially the uh, new AI Act coming out of Europe. Like that's... Yeah, nothing to joke about. So yeah, no, exactly. And uh, now, one thing I see that could be interesting is, and then I'm going to help a lot in to me in the analytics world because they allow to have an almost automated way to go from unstructured to structured data, mm -hmm. which is you know we started to use that internally uh, just as a prototype of. Hey, these are all the conversation we have with customers. Tell me if they're happy or not. Just as simple as that, like, yeah. and like sentiment analysis. So basically you're taking this text conversation completely unstructured and you convert it into something that is structured on which you can start building dashboard and reporting. Uh, and having this, that ability to map unstructured to an actual model mm -hmm. is going to be very powerful. Um, it's not just about powering LLM. It's just about yeah. creating tabular data from text. That's yeah. pretty, that's a pretty nice use case. Yeah. One, one guy you should talk to is, uh, Bill Inman. Um, he had, uh, uh, this realization back in the day after he, uh, created the data warehouse back in was it, 89 or something like that. He, uh, I think in the nineties, he was even thinking about text because he's like, why don't we focus yeah. on all these, uh, small data sets, these corporate, um, you know, ERP systems and whatnot, when all the data is the, the text data that they have, you know, and I think yeah. even early on, he was trying to um, think of ways he called it textual ETL, but uh, very interesting early insight from a guy like him. And, um, but he saw the power if you can combine like, you know, um, tabular data with, um, you know, text data, I mean, that unlocks a ton of stuff. And he showed yeah. me some, some stuff at his house one time. I was like, yep, that's pretty legit. Actually, if you could, <laughs> combine these two worlds together it's it's uh yeah really so, so this one i think we're not too, we're not too far like this is yeah. probably one place where there is a lot of things that are going to happen because yeah you have that ability now and it's not going to be perfect but as always data is never perfect but it will get you to probably 80 or 90 percent of the value you want so yeah yeah that's super cool, man. Yeah, it's, 
I'm excited to see where things go with you guys. I, I, like I said, this wasn't this wasn't expected. I thought we'd just be talking about you know uh, being an open source and uh, <laughs> you know and the paid vendor, but then you uh, dropped this uh, you know pretty interesting uh, announcement on me. I'm like, okay, this is this is, this is really, really fascinating. To be clear, that was a complete coincidence. <laughs> Coincidence, yeah, for the audience out there, this, this wasn't, yeah, it wasn't planned. Nothing on the show is ever planned, uh, you know, so, but especially this one, I, but I'm, I'm, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, said, last, Friday, uh, last Friday, I was at an AI, uh, sorry, uh, an open source event with YC. Uh, so just talking in front of the, the batch. And they talked a lot about HN, how to launch their company on HN, how to, to launch their product on HN. Like, you know, the relationship between YC and HN is pretty strong. And yeah. that just got me, hey, let's go back to the, the old days where we were putting everything on HN and let's do one for, for AI. So yeah, we added, we added that to our, to our launch and yeah, well, got picked up. So that's nice. Good to see. Oh, that's cool. Good to see. Yeah. And response was good? Yeah. Response okay. was good. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I know. Agent has a life of its own, man. When you put something out there, you're um, <laughs> it could go either way. Yeah. So, uh, exactly. yeah, congrats on that. That's super cool. Awesome. Well, it's been a great uh, talking to you again. Uh, uh, for people who want to find out more about you, how can they do that? Yeah, uh, I mean, airby.com. Uh, we also have a community Slack and like the whole Airby team is available in our community Slack. So that's uh, probably the best way to get in contact with us or just, yeah, that's or just the websites. We have contacts from everywhere. So that, that's probably the best way. Awesome. That sounds good, man. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show again. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> so. Yeah. Thank you very much, Joe. Thank you. Just give me the...